Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design today. We're really excited to be joined by an old friend of mine, um, Guy Osmond, uh, Managing Director of Osmond Ergonomics. I say old friend of mine, but we, have, we haven't actually known each other very long. We kind of met at Workplace Trends uh, a few years ago, but I feel like I've known you forever. Um, anyway... Um, Guy, I'm not I'm not going to give you any more introduction because Guy doesn't need any intro- introducing at all. I'm going to let him talk about what he does. Um, but thanks for joining us today, Guy. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Ness. Yeah. And um, yeah, we haven't known each other that long, but it, it's, you know, it's not the length of time. It's, you know, we feel like old friends and, and I'm really good at the old bit because basically <laughs> I am. So that's <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, can, so, can you, yeah, can you, lovely. Can, say, can you tell us? A little bit about what you do there, um, about what Osmond Ergonomics is. And I know you've had quite an interesting career, but can you tell us a little bit about that? But also, what was the hook that actually got you into ergonomics? It's not kind of the career path that somebody might wake up in the morning and go, oh, do you know what? I want to be an ergonomic, 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 ergonomic. Well, I'd love to say that at some stage in my life, there's been a career plan, even if it was for a day or two, but there never really has. And, and in the past, I've been in slot machines, space invaders, wine bars, children's clothes shops, satellite TV, or some property development, all sorts of stuff over the years. But this just happened, actually, I put my back up and it was an old injury that re- reappeared. And I went to see my GP and her husband was a rheumatologist and she referred me to him and he had designed a sloping workstation, which he had imaginatively named the desktop desktop desk. Um, and we had at that time carpentry works and manufacturing, employing carpenters and had some machinery. And um, we just got into the chat, the conversation of making it under license to Salisbury NHS Trust. And, and that's how it all started. So I knew nothing about ergonomics. And I sort of started, to, you know, I knew quite a lot about back pain. And that's where a lot of our business obviously has come from. And so I sort of drifted in it, but I thought this would be fun. We had just sold a business and I was looking around for doing something else. Oh, that was at the time I was um, providing those card printing machines that used to be on motorway services. Uh, but I'd found a French one that was actually better than the mainstream one. But the mainstream one was run by an enormous organization and I was never going to be able to compete with them. They were putting them everywhere. So I thought, what else can I be doing? I oh, I'll have a go at ergonomics. So I'm not an ergonomist, never have been, but seem to have established some credibility with ergonomists over the years. And um, yeah, so as I say, that was just a back injury and the rest is history. Lovely. I mean, why is, you know, ergonomics important? You know, so it's probably one of those things people think they know about. Um, You know, it's obviously, as you say, to stop your back pain sort of, you know, occurring. Um, but, you know, can you explain maybe what it is and um, why people should really, you know, be taking it under their wing and, and sort of doing something about it? I think, well, there's uh, two elements. Though. I think the first thing everybody thinks they sort of know what ergonomics is. And I think the second thing is that actually the word is completely misused and abused. It's, you know, on the web everywhere to to flog stuff, whether it's, you know, online resellers or furniture company so everything is ergonomic and frequently it's not and I quite often sort of wonder where whoever wrote this do they know even what the word means so um so probably a good segue into what the word does mean so ergonomic comes from the Greek um and I'm just gonna make sure I get it right ergon which means work 
and nomos, which means natural laws. So it's the natural laws of work. So ergonomics is about designing a work environment to actually be optimized for the individual. So designing machines to make sure all the controls and stuff are in the right places, designing, work designing a workstation layout, which is the sort of thing we do to make sure the screen's at the right height, the chair's comfortable and supportive and all the rest of it. So um, that that's it, it's quite simple, really. And a lot of people say, well, it's just common sense. And the most basics, it actually is. You know, I, I'd say I've made a career out of showing people the blindingly bloody obvious, really, a lot of the time. But actually, you know, ergonomics and human factors, when you take it to extremes, it's all about safety systems for designing, you know, trains and aircraft and things like that so people can optimise and systems are working and all the rest of it. So, so the stuff that we do is a bit basic by comparison to the whole of ergonomics. But if you just think about making it so that people can be most attentive, most efficient, most productive, and most comfortable. Ergonomics, if it's in a work environment, just encompasses all of those things. That's lovely. I mean, obviously, this is the Journal of Biophilic Design. I know you are really passionate about biophilia and biophilic design. Um, you wouldn't actually think there'd be natural bedfellows, you know, in your first sort of thought of everything, but can you explain where the connection is? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious. And again, something else that's obvious to me and not to everybody else. But one of the things when we started out doing ergonomics, we were actually talking about physical ergonomics and so people's musculoskeletal problems. That's how we got into the, the early conversations of the business. And we still deal with a lot of people with RSI and backache and so forth. But actually, more recently, I've been thinking, well, we've been talking about well-being for 30 years and it was physical well-being. But of course, well-being wasn't really a thing. It wasn't in general conversation at that time. And then over the years, we realised, obviously, and everybody knows this now, and it's a common discussion that physical and mental health are completely intertwined. You know, we go to see people about backache, and then suddenly they're talking about stress and job security and money worries. And you think, well, that's a whole big holistic picture. It's not just about backache. And so when you get into the well-being conversation, and again, I won't tell you what biophilia is all about in the, in the context of well-being, but the whole lot fits together. And it fits, you know, with air quality and acoustics. And, and it's not just about, a lot of people think ergonomics is, you know, is it a comfortable chair with lots of levers? But actually, it's about the general well-being of the individual. And that's become really important, as we've seen, as so many were forced into working from home and then came to terms with it more or less and the whole homeworking thing had just made that a bigger conversation about so we much we're much more these days talking about well-being rather than just physical comfort but yeah. under the banner of ergonomics yeah I mean so you, you mentioned about the pandemic and working from home and, and stuff I mean are we still working at kitchen tables are you still getting calls where people are like in a terrible situation or you know or is everybody like all sort of got it all streamlined now if only if only <laughs> I mean I, I think I did a post the other day on social media when I said is this really where we've got to because we are two and a half years in I know there's been all sorts of challenges for businesses in terms of cost and actually accommodation and providing the equipment and so forth but the simple reality is that I am sure there are millions of people still working at home on kitchen desks. We had a guy came in the other day who's just actually changed job and he came to see us because his new employer is providing with a chair and a sit-stand desk. Um, he had worked for two years with the previous company solidly 
and they just said, here's your laptop, get on with it. And he'd done the best he could at home. So, um, so we find that people actually, when they're working from home, quite often with no equipment, whatever, and you can do quite a lot without equipment, but actually, if there's no training, people don't know what they need to achieve. And so that whole ergonomics thing, you know, what I was saying, is they think they know, but they don't. So we're seeing people suffering with neck and shoulder problems in particular, but it's all the also intertwined with the mental health issues, which some people are suffering from more than others. So. Um, so whilst, you know, the plants and everything, and I've got great situation at home where I can look out the window down the garden and all the rest of it, that's only part of the picture. And as I say, it all fits together. The physical well-being is as important as the mental health. Do you think, um, I mean, just just saying that sort of people are still working in awful situations. Do you think we're going to get a situation in a, in a, in a few years time where people are going to kind of wake up and we're going to get these like lawyer companies that kind of say oh you know sort of sue your boss because you've got neck neck ache or you've you know you've put your back out or you've not been you know I mean do you, what, what do you think they're going to be the consequences of people working from home and not having proper you know proper ergonomics and proper well-being in their home working environment what do you think what do you think the consequences might be the negative consequences I think there's real potential for that I would like to think I don't like to scare people but I think the reality mm. is that the the workplace assessment requirement, the display screen equipment assessment, which is an obligation of employers. The fact, for example, that it's actually, you, there is a compliance requirement under those regulations for people using laptops not to work for long periods. And typically mm -hmm. we think maybe more than an hour without a separate keyboard and mouse. So if you're actually providing an employee with a laptop, they're not used, they're using for more than an hour at a time and you're not supplying anything else to go with it. You're actually breaking the law. So I think the my worry is that, you know, we're looking, I read in the paper this morning, 18% inflation coming if we're not there already. People are going to be struggling as they already are, the cost of fuel, the cost of electricity. We're talking about people having to make choice between whether they eat or whether they heat their house. Already these conversations are coming. So if people find they can't work, you know, the natural thing is going to be, well, if my employer is responsible for this and I can't work and I'm struggling financially, let's go after them. And of course, what will happen inevitably, I think, because we've seen it before, it'll happen more in some countries than, than others. The US, for example, is much more litigious than the UK and most of Europe. But actually, there'll be lawyers, you know, the no, fit, no, no win, no fee stuff. I think it's sort of inevitable. And, and I also know that a lot of employers are high proportion and not on top of these things. You know, some of them are doing fantastic work. Some of them are doing the best with the resources they've got. A lot of them are just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then there's also, particularly in the SME sector, people who just don't get it. They just don't realise the stress, physical and mental, that they're putting their staff under. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose it's all down to resources. Well, if you're running a small business, then I suppose you're kind of like you're, you're looking at every penny and you're thinking, oh, but actually you get more out of your staff if they're comfortable and they're not got headaches and they're not calling in sick and stuff because they've got back pain. So actually it's kind of like it's preempting something, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. But again, when times are hard, getting people to do preventative stuff yeah. rather than the firefighting is hard. But, you know, we I was talking to a a business colleague just down the road from us yesterday and we were just talking about the cost of recruitment these days is just incredibly high so every time you lose somebody if you have to find somebody 
not you know not just the the recruitment company's fees but the training the loss of productivity while you're going through that and particularly with smaller businesses you know you've got other staff also involved in the training um the demands actually on losing one person in the business and replacing them are enormous and way more that people than you know you can quantify that in pounds people usually underestimate it but actually if you think of the the knock-on effects in terms of the impact on other members of staff and everything else so yeah i think um i, I think employers are probably uh at more risk than they think they are at the moment many of them probably most of them realistically yeah 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 I was going to ask you, what, what sort of like the three solutions? I mean, I know there's like lots of solutions that they could do, but what like would be the top three solutions? If someone's listening to this going, do you know what, what, I'm working from home. What can I do myself? What would be the top three things you'd say? So uh, uh, top three, I'll try not <laughs> to do the top 10. I mean, the, the really <laughs> obvious thing, first of all, just going back to your, to your, to the point I was making earlier about their posture and seeing shoulder and neck problems. Lots of people are sitting at their um, kitchen table or dining table. Yeah. And kitchen or, or uh, dining dining tables generally are, and I've researched this on a few websites, they're typically about 75 centimetres high, which is slightly higher than the normal desk. They tend to be mm -hmm. 72 to 74, depending on how recently they're manufactured. Um, and dining chairs sit lower than you normally would on an office chair. Mm -hmm. And what that means, therefore, is actually the that your your position means you're almost certainly hunching your shoulders up and that's where it was a bit of a standing joke it wasn't a funny one but it was just a sort of recognition amongst physios in the early days of covid people were saying oh i've got you know making appointments for neck and shoulder problems they say oh you're working on your kitchen table how did you know that because the last 90 percent of my patients who come in are all doing the same thing so so getting the relationship right. So if you've got to work on a kitchen table, then get some cushions. I mean, not everybody will need it, but lots of people will need to raise themselves up. So getting the actual relationship between your sitting height and your desk height, and then, of course, your screen height, try and get it up to a level that's, well, depending on whether you're a touch typist or not, so up to more towards eye level. Um, so I would say seat desk or seat and table and screen height are the crucial things as a starting point which you can do at home with zero cost obviously going on then from the obligations within that same thing there are you should be getting a se separate keyboard and mouse and actually if you're going to do that you might as well get a proper laptop stand rather than just stack it on books so you can actually get the screen up to the right height but i call that all one thing because it's all about the posture type thing mm -hmm. the simple things that cost absolutely nothing at all are take lots of breaks get up and move about if you've got a sit stand desk then swap from sitting to standing but actually, a lot of people think, oh, I need to stand for half of my day. And I hear awful things that worry me to death of people standing all morning and then working or sitting all afternoon. It's actually the getting up that is a beneficial thing. NASA did research nearly 30 years ago. So it's triggering your anti-gravity muscles is the thing of getting up. So getting up 20 times for a minute is better than getting it's 20 times better than getting up once for 20 minutes. So lots of movement, lots of getting up and moving about. Um, and then the other thing, which is also important, we're seeing growing experience of computer vision syndrome with people getting headaches and dry eyes and stuff like that, is look away. 
and the opticians, ophthalmologists, or um, will tell, or optometrists, I think is the most common name for that profession now, um, they would just say the 20-20-20 rule, which is just every 20 minutes, just look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And again, really simple thing. People forget there are six muscles in the eye, so you need to treat the muscles in the eye exactly the same way as you do the other muscles in the body. So, so posture, ex breaks, and looking after your eyes as well, I would say the three crucial things. I know I made it sound like 20 things, but those were the three key points. <laughs> That's really interesting. I I mean, I I don't, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of sitting down for like, sometimes I'm sat, I've sat still fit for a, like a good nearly two hours, hour and a half at least. You know, if I don't get up and make a cup of tea, which I often do, and then I leave it on the side, but then I go make another one when it's half, when it's half cold. Um, but at least it makes me get up and, that's why I probably I have like loads of tea bags in the thing. You know, I maybe that's what I could do actually is count how many tea bags I've got in the thing to know how many times I've actually stood up. So actually, or yeah. keep your tea bags in the garden shed or somewhere or in the garage, so you have to go a longer walk to go and get them each time. <laughs> and when we first went into lockdown, my wife was bringing me tea and coffee, and then she started baking cakes. I said. Don't do this. I need to actually move from my desk. So <laughs> I forbade her from bringing, bringing stuff in. I mean, it was a lovely gesture, but I said, no, 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 I need to get up. And I say forbade her, like I've got any sort of say in what she says and does. But the point, you know, I'm sounding very masterful momentarily. <laughs> totally inappropriate, really. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, brilliant. Well, thanks. Thanks for those three tips. I think that's really good. I'm going to mention those on the on the blurb as they go in, and sort of, and, and when when they can listen to this on the podcast. So, um, so I mean, obviously, that, they're the three things. But I mean, what can companies do? Um, you know, if companies are listening to this and going, "Oh crap, where do I start? What do I do?" You know, um, I mean, I know you've got an event coming up, haven't you? Yeah. Um, what, what I mean, can you maybe tell us about that? And is is that somewhere people people can come to kind of find out where to start, what to do, to sort of discuss issues and and sort of find out what the current trends are and things? Or, or what is yeah, that? I mean, we're doing. We we had a very successful event in July, aiming focusing on the assessors, people who do those displaced yeah. equipment assessments, and we're doing another one of those for people who actually do the actual assessment process. But we're also running one in October about hybrid working, and we're actually looking at those who are responsible for managing those processes and if it worked as well as the first one did we're going to be asking people a few um anonymous we've got a couple of quick anonymous surveys about where are people in the in the process are they on top of it or are they doing their best or are they groping around in the dark or are they just got no idea where to start but we're also looking for a a workshop conversation where people talk about what's worked for them and what hasn't one of the biggest problems is actually you know, what works for one organization because of what they do and who they've got and their demographic of people and their culture won't work for another in, in another organization. And actually, you need to take it right down to the individual level, because what works for one person, if they're introvert or extrovert, or they're very good at focusing, or they're distracted by any sort of uh, noise or um, conversation or whatever, um, you need to be thinking at it from an individual's perspective and so actually involving lots of people in it of different characters different departments different job roles is a great way to get the conversation going but to give an idea of the scale of how big I think the backlog is in this 
because it's not just about doing assessments at home. It's actually that's part of the whole well-being management process. But one of our big corporate clients, and this is one who's really doing their best and throwing, they've got great budget, they've got thousands of people in the UK, but just as an indicator, this is one product that we sell to them for their home workers from a company that's really doing it. This particular product that we sell to them, it's one of the number of things we do for them, but it's basically one of these sit-stand adapters. So it goes on an, on an ordinary table so people can put it at home on the on the kitchen table or on a, another table in the house, and then they can move from sitting to stand just by pulling a lever. So without any particular focus on it, they sold 41 of them. Well, we sold 41 of them to them in 2021. Just before Christmas, they opened up a staff portal on their intranet that people could go in and say what they needed for home. Obviously, some of this needed management, budget approval, others needed occupational health recommendation. But they put a portfolio of products and focusing just on this one sit-stand adapter, we went from 41 in 2021 to an order for 150 on the first Friday of January. Uh -huh. And we've now sold, it's obviously slowed up now, it's more of a runway. We've now sold nearly 500 of them. So that was that was obviously a need that has now been addressed because the demand has come more of a trickle. But that was just one thing. So if they're doing it and they're doing their best, organizations need to be able to do it. Otherwise, if they're not getting on top of this and actually having a program, however much resource they can reasonably put into it, they're going to have this, you know, the talent will walk. And we've just talked about how much that's going to cost them, which will make them, you know, if they start to lose people in en masse, then actually it'll make the cost of these modifications and provisions just look trivial in comparison. Mm. Well, well, thanks very much. I mean, we're, we're coming to the near, near the end of the podcast, um, but I do want to ask you, um, is there anything else that you would would like to add? I know that your people who are listening, um, I forgot to mention right at the beginning of the podcast that um, obviously the Journal of Biophilic Design has been a podcast series, uh, but we're launching um, a an online and print-on-demand magazine, um, which is going to be about 80 pages. They're going to be full of research, full of news, full of really uh, vital information about biophilic design and the trends and and also the science behind biophilic design. And um, Guy, you're going to be writing for the magazine for us. And I'm really looking forward to that. So um, so people who want to find out a little bit more about ergonomics and also all the sort of every other sort of aspect of biophilia, um, then I encourage them to kind of go onto the website, journalofbiophilicdesign.com and register for the, the, the free newsletter that's going to come out, but they can have a link through and um, so they'll be the first to know about the magazine. Um, but um, just before we go and before I ask you the final question guy is there anything else that you would would like to add really just that organizations need to be thinking the bigger picture and they need to be thinking i think there's been a real focus on mental health and i'm not saying in any way that that's not the really important because people have struggled and it's really good that people are actually now able to talk much more openly about this but actually there's a lot of the mental and physical health are so interconnected. There's a lot of physical health, musculoskeletal problems that are just being either ignored or overlooked at the moment. I think that will be the next phase, going back to our earlier comments about if organisations don't get a grip on this, they are going to start seeing either just losing good staff or losing staff generally, um, or there is a risk down the line. I think particularly if, when, if, if life gets really tough for people, then litigation will come because it's a, you know, it's a, 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 
it's just an easy resort. So I think organisations need to be looking at where they are with it. And if they need to up their game, then, you know, our hybrid event would be a good good place to start. But we have a load of resources on our website at ergonomics.co.uk as well. But um, there's stuff there that people just get for nothing to get going. That's lovely. So can you just remind us, um, what's the date um, and where where the um, your um, and what's it going to be called as well? What the event? Uh, so we're, we're calling it a hybrid working event, which is not that imaginative, but it sort of encompasses everything. In the morning, we'll be talking about managing homework and well-being, and then we're going to completely swap at lunch. And lunch is fabulous, and so is breakfast because I do like my food. We were talking about this the other day, so it's going to be a really good all-day event from about ten till three, three thirty. And then in the afternoon, we're actually going to be looking at the office about ideas for um, adaptable environments to to create a magnetic office. Because as well as looking after your people at home. A lot of employers are saying, what the hell are we doing to get people to want to come? How do we attract them back in? So it's October the 19th in Clerkenwell. Um, it will be at the Orange Box showroom. So fabulous venue and location. They very kindly sponsored and provided the, the location for us. Um, and we created a short link for it. So it's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash O-E as in Osmond Ergonomics hyphen hybrid so bit.ly slash oe hyphen hybrid plug finished lovely <laughs> i encourage people to go along and um and also have a look at your website um which um has got shed loads of information uh free resources um obviously you can buy the stuff there as well which is great but i'm sure if people have got any more in, um inquiries about it they can email your company and i know you've got a fantastic lovely welcoming team there who are, are just like really knowledgeable so they can help so nearly all of our first contacts are people coming to us with a problem hardly anybody says oh i love this can i have one it's always people saying can i have some help with this so that's that's what we're geared up to do that's fantastic well lovely well guy thanks so much for joining us today um before you go final question which i ask everybody on this podcast if you could paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like? I've given this some thought, and actually it didn't take much thinking. More vineyards. So I just thought everybody should be able to be close to a vineyard because they're lovely places to visit. I mean, we've all seen pictures of Tuscany and all the rest, but I've visited vineyards you know, in Europe, South America, South Africa, America, or California and stuff. And they're always lovely places. And they're actually, you get the full biophilia effect because you're walking around. Even if you don't drink wine, you meet people who understand the seasons, who actually get the nature of how nature works. And actually, they're all always incredibly passionate at what they do. And I just find listening to people who are passionate about what they do is always a joy. So, um, and then if you do drink wine, there's a bit of a bonus at the end of it all. So more vineyards is my answer. There's probably a commercial problem if there were too many, but I think we've got a long way to go before that's an issue about commercial viability of all of them. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.